0: This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10ofthose.com. They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10ofthose.com to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, et cetera. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10
1: Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at Baptist21.com. Before we jump there,
0: let's just jump there. Um, Why does he not uh yeah play out the fifth term and talk about the landmark controversy uh i do want to hear more some about his writing but we'll talk more about that towards the end
1: yeah sure so this landmark story is pretty epic Um we probably in a separate podcast for that yeah. but rbc how is right at the heart of it so while he's the pastor at first Baptist nashville A man moves into the city to do some teaching, to do some newspaper writing. His name is J.R. Graves, James Robinson Graves. He's from New England originally, um, but he comes to Nashville. He's ultimately going to join the First Baptist Church of Nashville. So RBC Howell is his pastor. This is in the late 1840s. Uh, He does some writing for Howell's Baptist newspaper. Howell ultimately turns the editorship of that newspaper over to J.R. Graves, that's one of those like, oh, what could go wrong kind of moments in Baptist history. But he gives the editorship to Graves. Man, they are thick as thieves uh, to begin with. Uh, Graves is defending Howell in the newspaper. He's pumping him up as his pastor and all that kind of thing. But Graves is going to develop right around the time that Howell moves back to Richmond. He's going to develop... some really strict views about Baptist identity that are going to come uh, to be known as landmarks. You know, there's a proverb that says, remove not the ancient landmark. And that's where the name of this movement comes from. And J.R. Graves is just really concerned out there on the frontier with all these different denominations um, telling, you know, these country people, you know, what, what the Bible says, he's really concerned that Baptists know what, what, what constitutes a real new Testament church and uh this is back in the day when you just nailed your colors to the to the mass. You didn't uh, play footsie with other denominations. And so J.R. J. Graves said it's it's not that you have to be a Baptist to be a Christian. He he believed that other denominations were going to heaven. Um, but he did say you have to be a Baptist to be a real New Testament church because you have to have the right practice of the ordinances. Uh, you have to have the uh, a true uh, practice of baptism, the immersion of a believer. In water, but, you know, as a, a profession of faith, not um, to contribute to salvation and, and so forth. You have to have a right serving of the Lord's Supper, which means you're only serving it to uh, those who have been immersed already. You have to have a true minister of the gospel. And according to, to J.R. Graves, if you are an unbaptized man, if you've not received a New Testament baptism Um, then you can't have the authority uh, to preach the gospel and to baptize others. And so, you know, this guy wasn't loading up the church bus to go to Passion Conference or T4G or any of that stuff. He was all about, as um, James Patterson has written in his book, he's all about staking out the boundaries of Baptist identity. And um, J.R. Graves begins to promote these ideas really strongly in the Baptist newspaper, which ends up uh, renaming the Tennessee Baptist if you thought how was controversial with Methodists and Presbyterians and Campbellites, man, you hadn't seen anything until you got to J.R. Graves. And the Baptist, the Baptist people tend to see, they love it. The circulation goes through the roof under Graves because he's such a punchy writer. Um, he's not, not scared to get controversial. Circulation goes from 1,000 readers in 1846 to 13,000 in 1860. Uh, And so he develops this massive influence uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention and especially in those southwestern states. And you begin to see kind of this um, cultural tension in the SBC between the more uh, refined, established churches on the Atlantic coast and these more frontier oriented uh, churches out there in Tennessee, Mississippi and Alabama. Um, So Graves, he's... um, He promotes these ideas about baptism and the Lord's Supper. He believes that only local churches uh, should serve the Lord's Supper to their people. Uh, He believes he's against what's called pulpit affiliation, which is allowing uh, like a Presbyterian brother to come preach on a Sunday morning. So he doesn't have the authority uh, to do that. Um, And so it's spicy stuff and you either love it or you hate it. A lot of people loved it in the old Southwest, but a, a whole lot of people hated it. But the reason that he gets crossways with his old pastor rbc howell is uh graves oh, was, yeah, yeah, go for it. This great um
0: really helpful stuff uh what i mean i would assume up until this point like how was an influence in graves's life and maybe even viewed in an endearing way absolutely okay so it wasn't he 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 revered this guy who had been a pastor of his but obviously comes to these really strong convictions uh on right. some topics. Well, who, in, I, I actually just wrote down, we're, let's do a whole thing on J.R. Graves at some point, because he is, yeah. it is a massive, massive piece. Who influenced Graves on those more, um, I mean, what obviously becomes land, called landmark um, theology. Were there others that, pre, like, you know, you have precursors to the, to the Reformation, like Wycliffe and others. But who's the precursor to Graves on some of these issues, if, if they come to mind?
1: Yeah, and let me recommend again James Patterson's book on James Robinson Graves staking out the boundaries of Baptist identity. It was originally published by B and H academic several years, 10 years ago. It's been republished with uh, university of Tennessee press and, uh, Dr. Patterson was my teacher at union university back in the day. And he helpfully shows that, uh, the new England separate Baptist, um, which is, um, where graves would trace his roots. They had a really strong local church theology, um, because they had been oppressed by, you know, the state church, the, the established church of congregationalism up there. And they had, they had seen, uh, lots of abuses of denominations, basically associations, connectionalism. And so it was very important to them that each church be allowed to, um, It'd just be accountable to the Lord for what they believe, what they practice and so forth. And uh, that uh, uh, J.R. Graves just takes that to the next level uh, when he comes down to the south, comes down to the south and sees all these um, Campbellites, Presbyterians, uh, Methodists uh, and and so forth, uh, challenging uh, Baptist ideas. How does does Howell take him on then? Yeah. So once uh, Howell is in Virginia, Graves really starts to kind of. Flex a little bit in Nashville, and he begins to take over a lot of these institutions that Howell started. So, no doubt there's theological differences between these guys, but this is also kind of a personality turf, kind of an issue, too. So, Graves essentially takes over Union University in Murfreesboro, which was Howell's baby. He brings J.M. Pendleton, who's kind of the theologian of landmarkism from Bowling Green down to Union to be a professor and also ultimately the president of Union for a short time. Um, He has great influence at First Baptist Nashville, that's Hal's baby. Um, He has tremendous influence in the Concord Association, which Hal essentially started Tennessee Baptist, what then was the Tennessee Baptist uh, Convention. Um, uh, Graves has tremendous influence there. And he's pressing this landmark agenda where they really get crossways is when Uh, Howell or excuse me, when Graves has another uh, landmark lieutenant, AC Dayton, um, pushing a landmark agenda on the Bible board, which the SBC starts in the early 1850s to produce Baptist literature. He obviously has a strong landmark agenda. Howell doesn't like that. Um, uh, And and, and so they begin to clash over that Um, later in the decade without getting into all, all the weeds. Uh, Later in the decade, Howell wants to start um, a a new entity, the Sunday School Board, in 1857. The convention okays that. So, this, you know, Howell's the president of this, we see at this time. The convention says yes to the Sunday School Board, but then they want to elect A.C. Dayton, that landmarker, as the president of that board. Well, Howell opposes this Mm -hmm. um, publicly. He writes articles for the Christian Index. He's just totally against it. And that brings on the wrath of J.R. Graves. So, it's clearly You've got Howell, the um, kind of the denominational statesman of the SBC, you've got Graves, a sort of this grassroots uh, leader out in the Southwest, sort of the voice of the people on the frontier. They're publicly clashing in the convention and it gets really ugly. It gets so ugly, in fact, um, that uh, Howell comes back to First Baptist Nashville to deal with Graves <laughs> as the pastor, mm-hmm. and he brings him up for church discipline. So there's a there's a time where RBC Howell, the president of the convention, is the pastor first Baptist Nashville. Among his members are J R. Graves, A C Dayton, uh, and uh, and and J M Pendleton is often involved there too. He's not a member, and and they are clashing on the pages of these newspapers every single day. Well, they hold this church discipline trial in the fall of 1858. Graves uh, brings this huge posse the first night. Uh, there are like five charges brought against him. It gets really rowdy. Graves leaves and he doesn't come back. But the, the, the trial continues for several days. He's found guilty on every count um, and he's expelled from the church. So RBC Howell expels J.R. Graves from his church the next week um, Graves, to no one's surprise, starts his own church called the Spring Street Baptist Church. He declares it to be the true First Baptist Nashville um, and, and calls uh, the old First Baptist, I feel like Howell's Sect or something like that. And Graves, of course, you're thinking, OK, he's just a he's just a crank. You know, nobody's going to listen to him, but that's not the case at all. He has a tremendous following and. He appeals, Graves appeals to the Concord Association and what was then basically the Tennessee Baptist Convention to recognize his church as the true First Baptist Nashville and to reject how and they go with it. Oh, Um, he which is what's really wild is that, that Graves, we didn't really talk about this, but he's so strong on the centrality of the local church and not the denomination. But when his local church disciplines him, he appeals to an extra ecclesial body to vindicate him. Um, and that's what happens. Those guys, th- those other bodies, they don't seat First Baptist Nashville that fall. And they do seat the Spring Street folks and graves. And all of this is brewing heading into the 1859 Southern Baptist Convention, which is the most epic controversial convention to date at that point. And we can talk about that in just a second.
0: This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10ofthose.com. They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10ofthose.com to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, et cetera. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10 Wow, there's a lot. So the fights are nothing new to the SBC. Um, Uh, FBC Nashville's been through multiple, um, yeah, uh, yeah, prize fights it seems. And with some of the biggest controversies affecting Baptist life. Um, Okay, so uh, yeah, again, Graves might need to be his own thing. But let's let's dive in just a little bit. How does how ultimately win? Maybe a couple questions. One, why were the the state convention and the association at that point, uh, why were they on Graves' side rather than Howe's? And how does Howe ultimately
1: overcome all of this? I think it's the Tennessee Baptist newspaper. I mean, you, you cannot undersell the influence of that Southern Baptist media machine. I mean, Howe was just such an effective uh, propagandist. I don't even mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, he, he's, he was just so successful in getting the ear of the people with that written word and he'd been cranking out that spicy copy for like a decade now and people couldn't get enough of it
0: Mm. and
1: everybody's reading it and Howell just did not have that kind of pull anymore. He still has tremendous pull like in Virginia and at the national, we call it the national level, the Southern Baptist convention. He's got major pull there. He's the president for goodness sake. Um, But in Tennessee, uh, in that area, Graves was the man. And so when the chips were down, they went, with graves so so because of that he can't be even a messenger to the to the 1859 convention it yeah, so it creates this really really awkward situation um right. where graves has been disciplined expelled by his church but he's just started his own church and said that that was, was essentially, what happened back there was essentially the expulsion for for being divisive yes that that's right they brought five charges against him but that's what it all boils down to like he was defaming the church and defaming his pastor in the pages of the newspaper and all that kind of thing that's right that that, that seems uh less than ideal um <laughs> local church
0: so okay so then break down 1859 for us
1: yeah so heading into 1859 howell is the the sitting president for consecutive terms He's going to be nominated for a fifth consecutive term. That's just how it worked back then. Uh, Those presidents would serve for long stretches. Um, And Graves spends the whole fall and winter of 1858, early 1859 campaigning against Howell. It's going to be this huge uh, showdown when they get to the convention. And uh, just to cut to the chase, Howell gets elected anyway. So the convention, again, that's that's where Howell has the most influence at the SBC level. They elect Howell anyway to his fifth consecutive two year term and Howell declines, Hmm. declines to serve. So he's it's like he's vindicated in front of the SBC, but then he declines to serve in order to prevent a split. And this is seen as like that first major Southern Baptist statesman move in the convention's history, where you've got someone who recognizes lots of diverse local factions and the need to bring them all together in order to carry on the Great Commission and in order to, to advance the mission. Palestine is one of those unifiers in that moment kind of that first major denominational statement. here's a here's a quote from how that maybe could sum it up when shall we have wisdom and piety enough to resist successfully these endless innovations for ourselves we protest that we are not antinomian baptist nor free will baptist nor old school baptist nor campbellite baptist nor landmark baptist but what we have ever been, but we, but we have ever been Baptists of the old apostolic stamp, taking the Bible as our exclusive guide, loving all who love Christ, and ready always to do what we can to reclaim the erring and to save the lost. The treatment proper for Pado Baptist preachers may, as we believe, be safely left to the churches where it of right belongs, and when, after all, it must be left under the guidance of the Word and Spirit of God, these churches may err on the side of a mistaken charity. They may precipitate themselves into a proscriptive bigotry, but a praying Christian here will, by the grace of God, eventually lead them safely out of all extremes. So he's calling for unity among these different views. Let's leave some of these like pulpit affiliation type questions to local churches, and let's make the convention about cooperating to advance the Great Commission. Who ran
0: ran against him in 1859? Do you know?
1: Oh, man, you caught me flat-footed. I I, I'm, not, I'm not positive, but but a, a more J.R. Graves friendly. And Graves
0: obviously doesn't have the influence on the larger scale you've already kind of mentioned is, that he does in Tennessee. Again, we'll, we can come back. I want to come back to landmarkism and, and try to ascertain why it was
1: appealing. There are reasons it was appealing, but also why it didn't win the day. So, Still, so much of the leadership of the early SBC is going to be drawn, not from the frontier, but from – South sure. Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, some of these more established areas. And that's where Howell had the most support. There is one more controversy just to put a bow on Howell's life. 1859, you know, however you want to view it, some would say it's his finest hour or whatever. Um, he's only going to live for another 10 years. Meanwhile, the Civil War happens. So just when you think he's going to have peace. Uh, if you know anything about the early years of the Civil War, Nashville gets taken uh, really early by U.S. Grant. He He takes down... Fort Donaldson and and Fort Henry, and he comes to Nashville. Union forces occupy the city. Andrew Johnson is made the wartime governor and Howell stays with his church. They had ample opportunity to to leave, but he he thinks that he needs to stay with his church. He is arrested. Uh, He is asked to sign um, this oath of loyalty to the union. Part of that involves confessing essentially that he was a, a traitor and disloyal before that. And uh, he refuses to do it. He's marched at Bayonet Point to a jail. He's imprisoned uh, now is in his 60s, um, just for not a super long time, but long enough for his health to break. He ultimately is uh, released from prison. Uh, First Baptist Nashville was impounded uh, during that time by Union troops. Uh, on the other side of the war, they're able to get the building back. Um, the Union uh, uh, army pays out I don't want to say they pay out like five thousand dollars in damages to the church, but it costs like twelve thousand to really repair it. And Hal uh, finishes out his his life um, r- really with compromised health as an old man, just trying to um, nurse this church along in the years after the war. He ends up dying in eighteen sixty eight. So he uh, he has a, a very eventful life, a life that's full of um, just turmoil and conflict. Um, but he is so instrumental in the advance of Baptist life uh, into the Old Southwest.
0: I, w- I would assume then, with uh, what you just talked about, he would have been pro-make uh, pro-slavery arguments.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, like he he brought, I think it was five slaves with him from Virginia to Tennessee. That's a, kind of a part of that story. And uh, yeah, he's very much an unapologetic um, pro-Confederate, for similar similar sins to the, Some of the early founders.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, what. Anything else as far as lasting impact significance that we haven't hit on? I mean, we don't have to, we've, we've hit on a lot, but if there's any nuggets or anything lasting significance. Um, he does write a book called the evils of infant baptism. So I'm curious what he would think about our open <laughs> debates right now. Uh, I think not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan. I would see, but anything else as far as impact lasting significance, even particularly about his time as president and so forth.
1: Yeah, he, he really does. Um, set the course for the Southern Baptist convention in a lot of ways, theologically um, he in his battles with the anti-missions Baptists, he's able to kind of raise a standard for a Calvinism that has room for um, ardent activity and evangelism and education, all those kinds of things God uses means to do his work in the world. That's important. I think that's going to kind of define the SBC in its early generations um, he also sets the course for the SBC by sort of brokering peace and a, a kind of a compromise among a different, you know, theologically different, but also culturally different Southern Baptists at a critical moment that keeps the convention moving forward. I mean, the, the convention was only 14 years old at the time of that epic 1859 showdown. And so it could have gone a lot of different ways, uh, but Hallis is sort of remembered as the guy who kept the convention together at, at a critical time. There will be other moments like that in the SBC's history uh, where these kind of statesman figures uh, rise up and, and are able to bring everybody together.
0: Brother, so, so helpful. I do hope you will write. I mean, I think it'd be interesting, too, to publish some of his works um, that there's there's a lot that we could unpack there. I want to I want to end it with uh, this is from the Baptist Encyclopedia about him talks about his death so he dies it says his death occurred on sunday about noon uh, at the very hour in which for more than 40 years he had stood up for jesus in the pulpit for a week before his death he was speechless but conscious he knew all that was said around him and when the pastor of the first church of nashville spoke to him of the infinite pity and compassion of the savior for his suffering servant he bur- he broke into tears uh, and i love i love that that little testimony to yeah. to death so um Brother, yeah, you can learn more about him. Obviously, you can look him out online. But we're hoping Eric, that you're going to write write something on on his life. And
1: oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I don't hear that a lot, so I'll take it. So not a lot of people pumping me up to write about RBC House. So I'm going to say hey, I've been
0: fascinated by this conversation, and I hope our listeners are as well. Um, so I appreciate you taking time to do this, brother. It's so helpful, and uh, we thank you all for listening to the Badass Twenty One Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, baptist21 at gmail.com. Again,
1: thanks for listening to the podcast.